0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. Great to see you all today, and if you are a kindergartner or first grader, you are welcome to head to Bible study with the Tuckers standing over there in the corner, Miss Miriam and Mr. Bishop, so feel free to head that direction. For the rest of you, let me invite you to turn to the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter six. And uh, I'm glad you are here. I know we're we're an hour off, and so I, I can see everybody's struggling just to stay awake right now, losing an hour of sleep. But you know, I figured since we you know kind of lost an hour and it's technically an hour earlier in our biological clock, we might be able to go an extra hour today you know, to kind of get us on routine again. But but we'll see how that goes. But we've got a lot to talk about from the book of Acts, Acts chapter six 6, 1 through 7 is where we will be, and if this is your first time with us here, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Justin, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church, and we've been working chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Acts, and so today we find ourselves at the very beginning of Acts chapter 6. Let me read God's word for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll we'll dive in and see what God has to teach us from his word. So here's Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you, Lord, for your infinite wisdom and planning for our redemption through your Son. And Lord, we praise you, Son, for your precious sacrifice for our sake as you serve us and denied yourself and gave up your life as a ransom for many. And Spirit, we praise you, Lord, for your wonderful work of applying the work of redemption to our hearts and causing us to be born again and, Lord, sanctifying us even now. So, God, we praise you for your wondrous work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we praise you for this great work of redemption that you, our blessed Trinity, has planned before the very foundations of the earth. And so, Father, we pray this day that as your word is preached, that you would continue to complete this work that you've begun in our hearts for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, those here this morning who have yet to trust in Christ, Lord, may you initiate a work of grace in their heart as your gospel is preached. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it really is exciting to be a part of a growing church, a church that's fruitful and growing in number. And since the beginning of Redemption Church, it's largely largely what we've seen God do. And we've been so blessed in, in watching God slowly but, but surely build his church. You know, it's always exciting to see new people visit, new people getting connected to the body and membership, new people coming to know the Lord. With Jesus Christ, that is absolutely thrilling to our souls to see the Church of Christ grow. However, growth, particularly rapid growth, can actually bring a lot of challenges, can't it? You know, we see this recurringly happening in the book of Acts. With with this first century church, the church of Jerusalem, the church has just exploded numerically in such a brief time. In fact, just thinking about the numbers and the scale here just stresses me out. Uh, Just thinking about how, if I was here, how would I try to manage and shepherd and care for all these people? So as we see the the church begin in Jerusalem, we've just seen explosive growth as the Spirit has come upon the, the church and as the apostles are preaching and teaching and doing miracles, we've literally seen thousands upon thousands come to know Christ in just this short span of ministry. This explosive growth, when the Lord brings it, is absolutely wonderful. But that growth can present some challenges. And that growth can, can risk stalling out due to problems that can come in the church, problems because of growth. So Luke is the historian, right? He's the author of the book of Acts, and he's a masterful historian. He's a masterful writer of the chronicling the history of the early church. And so Luke recurringly, we've seen him talk about numbers several times just in these first five chapters about the growth of the church. He's enthused about it. He's amazed at what God's spirit is doing, but Luke doesn't shy away from the church's problems either, does he? He's not just looking back on what has happened with with rose-tinted glasses. Luke is a realist. He presents the church's wonderful success and growth, but he also doesn't hesitate to show us those challenges, those problems that come into the church's life, from the increasing opposition of persecution to the threat of spiritual deception, as we've seen with Ananias and Sapphira. And so in Acts chapter 6, Luke is going to share us Some more problems that are emerging in this church, problems that come from growth, and that these problems actually threaten to to derail the unity and the mission of the Jerusalem church. So I think there's some great comfort as we study the New Testament, particularly here right in the book of Acts. You know, there is no such thing as a perfect church, is there? If there was to be a perfect church, you might think the Jerusalem church in these first few months of gospel ministry, that might be the perfect church, but even still we see that churches throughout the ages have encountered challenges, problems, due often many times to growth itself. And guess what? Redemption Church will also face its share of challenges and problems. And though God has been wondrously faithful to us as as a congregation, we will have areas of neglect, areas of shortcoming, areas of deficiencies in the life of our church. And you know what? We shouldn't be surprised when we start having these sort of challenges, particularly as a young but growing church. In fact, if anything, we should expect these types of things to happen in the life of our congregation. So Acts chapter 6 shows us how the church wisely decides to handle the challenges of growth by by recruiting other members of the church to aid in the administration of ministry and to ultimately help protect the unity of the church. So here's the the sermon summary. Gospel growth requires willing servants to administrate ministry and protect the unity of Of the church. I'll give you a moment to jot that down if you're taking notes. Gospel growth requires willing servants who administrate ministry and protect the unity of the church. It's interesting, as we'll see in this passage, that that the, the servants who do the work of ministry are actually people who protect the unity of the church. So, as we talk about this from the book of Acts this morning, I want to first highlight for us the challenges of gospel growth. The challenges of gospel growth. So what, what is the sort of tension that we see here happening in the Jerusalem church? Well, Luke tells us. The numerical growth of the church, these, these rapid comings of thousands of people into the church led to the neglect of some of the widows in the daily distribution. And though this neglect doesn't seem to be intentional, or malicious in any form. Just the increasing burden of the sheer quantity of people that needed to be cared for by the church led to the neglect of the Hellenist widows. We'll talk about who those ladies are in just a second. So as we dive into these challenges together, I want to I show us from this text six challenges that often come from gospel growth right through this passage. These are think six challenges that Redemption Church will also face. What's challenge number one? Challenge one is increased needs, right? Increased needs. Luke, again, right here at the beginning of chapter 6, highlights the numerical growth of the church. Look at what he says in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, increasing in number. He highlights that growth again here. And so we see that the church is growing, the disciples are increasing in number, and when God brings growth like that to his church, there will be an increasing number of needs in that church. The sheer number of people just became a huge logistical challenge when it comes to the church. Because even from the beginning, we see that the church has prioritized its care for the poor, for the orphans. And for the widows. Right right here, from the beginning, as the church is collecting its distribution, or we've already seen how guys like Barnabas are, are selling off property and bringing the proceeds to the, the apostles for its distribution so that there wouldn't be any that are poor or in need in the life of God's church. And so we see that this collection of the distribution and then its administration, making sure it's distributed fairly, that just became a huge logistical burden. Because not only did the, the funds need to be collected, but then you have to make sure the funds get to the right person and the right need. As we might expect, the apostles were, were busy guys. Right? They're out there preaching. They're doing the work of evangelism. They're doing miracles. They're, they're leading the church of Christ. And so because of that, they, they just didn't have the capacity of time or skill to administer all of these needs effectively. So I think this is one of the first challenges we will see, even in our own church, that gospel growth brings increased needs. And that often exposes areas where the leaders of the church, particularly the elders, that they do not have the capacity to fulfill. And so as the church grows, the needs of the church also grow. That's challenge number one. What's challenge number two? Challenge number two is diverse backgrounds. Diverse backgrounds. This is the second challenge we see here presented in Acts chapter 6. Because even though the church, at least for right now, is is almost exclusively Jewish in nationality, these Jewish believers in Jerusalem have come from very different backgrounds, very different upbringings. The tensions of the widows here is, as Luke tells us, is a cultural one between the, the Hebrew Jews and the more Hellenistic Jews. So the the Hebrew Jews, those were the ones that grew up locally in Jerusalem, who spoke Hebrew. They were engrossed in Jewish culture. And then you had the the Hellenistic Jews, and these are the Jews from from out of town, right? They're not from around here. These are the ones who have traveled in by pilgrimage into the city and who have stayed for whatever reason. They primarily speak Greek, and they grew up surrounded by Roman culture and Roman way of life. And though they shared a common identity as Jews, and though they shared a common identity of of all confessing that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah that we've been waiting for, we see that these cultural differences have led to the Hellenistic widows being neglected in the care of the church. And here we see a second big challenge that comes from gospel growth. An increasingly diverse congregation. The church preaches the gospel to all people, don't we? All people. Which means that we ought to expect that as we go about preaching the gospel to people, that that God is going to bring people from different backgrounds, different ways of life, different manners of life, and they make their way into the local church. And that diversity can be challenging. You know, the church membership will often include different ethnicities, different education levels different hometowns, different personalities, sometimes, yes, even different languages. But even in a town like Wilson, those lines that so often divide society can be mirrored in our own town, in our own church. You know, some of us are are northerners, right? Who have infiltrated into the promised land of North Carolina. (laughs) Some of us have doctors. Some of us barely made it through high school, right? Some of us grew up in the church. Some of us grew up in unbelieving homes. We never went to church. I mean, you can just go on and on. Even in in our own body, the list of differences in background and culture are legion. And these differences are beautiful because they highlight the the, the gospel and how it unifies people from so many different backgrounds, but but practically speaking, those differences can sometimes strain the unity of the church if we're not careful. Sometimes these differences can lead to unintentional neglect of some group of people in the church. Indeed, I think it's natural, even within the church, to, to congregate around, surround yourself around people that are most like you. And by doing so, you unintentionally ignore others in the body. That seems to be what's happening here, right? The, the, the Jews that are caring for the widows, they're, just, they're not just ignoring the Hellenist widows just because they don't like them. They're just, just not thinking about it. There's a, there's a need not being met. And so the diversity of a church is a beautiful thing, but that diversity can also expose problems in the church's culture. So that's the second challenge. What's challenge number three? Challenge number three is increased criticism. Increased criticism. Church growth brings more opportunities for criticism and the body. And by criticism, there's a a good type of criticism, right? And then there's a a sorry type of criticism. Criticism sometimes is deserved and it's sometimes undeserved. In the case of Acts chapter 6, we see that the Hellenists here are making a legitimate complaint, a legitimate criticism. They're not just trying to, to rile everybody up in division. That's not what their intention is. Rather, they're, they're concerned about this perceived injustice, this unfairness that's happening in the local church. So sometimes criticism is, is helpful, but other times, of course, it's not helpful. It's not constructive. Sometimes criticism can just be grumbling, malicious and divisive in its intent. There's no place for that in the local church. But but a growing church means that that leaders need to be prepared to hear from the members of the church and to receive godly criticism and address the problems that arise in the body. In other words, leaders need to listen and receive the, the feedback from those within the body with legitimate concerns. It's interesting that the apostles don't just brush this issue off and just say, hey, we've got important stuff to do. Stop the grumbling. Let's just move on. No, but the disciples, the apostles, listen. They, they, they brought it, but again, they're concerned about these critiques that are being brought against the leadership and the distribution uh, to the widows. But it also means that, that at times the church needs to be prepared to deal with ungodly grumbling as well. That sometimes happens as the church grows those who offer criticism, but it's not biblical criticism, and it's not in an effort to build up the church, but rather it's an effort to manipulate the church. You see, when gospel growth starts happening in a local church, that the leaders of the church will face critique among its members, and that critique must be handled wisely by the elders of that church. So what's challenge number four? Challenge number four is distracted leaders. Distracted leaders... Increased growth brings complexity in the life of the church. And that brings increasingly complex demands upon the church's leadership. And so with increased needs in the body, it becomes really easy for for leaders to start getting distracted from their primary purpose, what they're there to ultimately do. It becomes easy for for leaders to, to forget to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, which is what the apostle says, this is the main thing we're supposed to be doing. And so the increased needs in the church requires the apostles to actually rethink about the church's very structure and to recruit others into the ministry to help administrate it. Because when leaders are distracted, the focus of those leaders become about putting out fires in the body. And when that tends to become the lion's share of what leaders do, of course the mission of the church is going to suffer. When the church's pastors focus all of their energy on the management of the church, the mission of the church turns inward and ultimately stifling the future gospel growth of the church. That's challenge number four. Challenge number five is leadership needs. Leadership needs. So the distracted apostles here also show us that there's an increased need in the body for more leaders. Right? The, the apostles gather together and they discuss the issue and they declude, conclude, right, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So what do they do? They determine, we need other people to help. <laughs> we need other leaders who can come in and care for the practical needs of the widows and in the serving of tables. You see, one of the biggest challenges young but growing churches face is the need for leaders. 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 More people who are qualified and gifted, godly people who can come along and assist the elders in the work of ministry. Because not only does a growing church need more elders, right? More men who can shepherd the flock of God. There's just more ministry needs, right? As those needs increase, we just need more people who can come alongside the elders and serve and and take on responsibilities. There's a need for more leaders, and so developing future leaders and training them for the work of ministry, that has to be an ongoing priority in the church. Because when gospel growth comes, it presents major leadership challenges. And then finally, challenge six. The challenge six is threatened unity. Threatened unity. This is perhaps the most dangerous thing. That numerical growth can begin to threaten the very unity of the church. When you take all of these challenges together, all six of them, you start putting them together, the, the potential emerges for a major rift within the church, leading to gossip and squabbles and bitterness among God's people. And if the apostles just ignored this and they just left the issue unaddressed, we can, we can imagine, right, that this issue could have very well led to a division among the Hebrews and the Hellenists in the church, and instead of operating as a unified body in love for one another, it would have been really easy for sides to begin to form in the Jerusalem church. You see, threats to unity increase as the churches, as the church grows. And if the church fails to take on these problems of growth and address them with biblical wisdom, then ultimately the growth of the church will, will stall out. And sometimes even decline. So Acts chapter 6 presents us right here with several different challenges that arise as God brings growth to his church. However, we see that the apostles respond to these challenges with wisdom, thus protecting the unity and the growth of the church. So we've talked about the challenges of gospel growth. Let's secondly consider the protection of gospel growth. The protection of gospel growth so what do the, disciples, the apostles do? How do they protect the church in these challenges that come from growth? And so the apostles decide to select seven men to address the ministry need for the hell his widows in the church. Look at what they say in verse 2 through verse 4. Look at what Acts 6 says. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, Whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry, and to the ministry of the Word. So here, I think we can also identify four ways, right, the local church can protect themselves from these sort of challenges that come from gospel growth. And the first thing we see is that ministry must be delegated. Ministry must be delegated. We have to first realize that ministry cannot be single-handedly done by just a small group of people. The needs are too great. The apostles, of course, bear the burden of the leadership of the church here, but even the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, they're finite men. There's just only so much time that you have in the day. And they can only focus on so many priorities before other important priorities start slipping from their attention and and their focus. It's only a matter of time. that, If ministry is not delegated, there's going to be areas of neglect in God's church. And so within the local church, believe me, there is plenty of ministry to go around, isn't there? Standing idly by as Christian consumers and watching a few devoted leaders struggle to carry the weight of the entire ministry of their shoulders, that should be a false idea in our minds. But, you know, many adopt that distinction, that, 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 that idea. They think, well, you know, the, the elders and the staff, they, they're the ones to do the work of ministry— I'm here to receive the work of their ministry. All the while failing to realize what God's word says, that the elders in the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. However, every member of the church must see that they've got a a God-given responsibility to serve others, to minister to others, even as other people are ministering to you. That's the way it works in the church. As a member of the church, you should eagerly desire to serve other members in the local church. Because isn't this what we've committed to do in our church covenant? If you're a covenant member here, remember our church covenant? We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. What does it say? We've committed to working together, right? And if you're a member, you've agreed to that. you pledged to that. So if you're a member of Redemption Church, you have committed yourself to serving and supporting the ministries of Redemption Church. However, there seems to be here in, in Acts 6 that there are those in the Jerusalem church who are eager to assist. That doesn't seem to be the problem. After all, they don't seem to have too much trouble finding seven qualified men to take on this responsibility. But the challenge here for the Jerusalem church is the delegation of that ministry to others. The apostles had yet to give others the authority to empower them to fulfill this ministry. So wise church leaders, and I think elders in the church, we have to remind ourselves of this. We have to realize that we can't do it all. And instead, we have to devote ourselves to raising up and empowering others in the church. We have to share authority with them and empower them for the leadership and service in the church's ministry. Second, we see that that elders must be protected. Elders must be protected. This is another lesson that we learn. How do we protect the church in the midst of gospel growth? We have to protect the elders. You see the increased demands of ministry risk distracting the elders from their most important task. The ministry of the word and prayer. The ministry of the word and prayer. You see, the administrative demands that come from a growing ministry can easily siphon off and steal time away from the church's elders. You see, trust me, there are there are always emails to write, there are always meetings to schedule. There are already always more reports that need to be generated, more volunteers that need to be trained. And the list just goes on and on and on in terms of those administrative duties. But yet we don't call elders to be administrators primarily, but rather elders are called to serve the church primarily through spiritual leadership and their shepherding of the flock and their caring for the church. Elders are to devote themselves to prayer. They're to devote themselves to the scriptures, to the teaching of the Bible, to the care of souls. So the most important work of an elder, the pastor in the church, is not the management of the church, but the souls within the church and the church's mission in reaching those who have yet to hear the gospel of Christ. So elders must recognize their own limitations And they need to realize that, yeah, we need to delegate ministry to others, but the members of the church must desire to serve so that the elders can serve the body most effectively. You should desire to serve and to take on leadership responsibilities in the church as a ministry ultimately to your elders. Why? So that they can best serve you as they focus on their dual responsibilities of the word of God and prayer. Notice that these are the two priorities of the, the Apostles' highlight. And you see, much of our, our vision for what pastoral ministry ought to look like in the church, most of that just mirrors and reflects our own cultural times, don't they? And we expect pastors today to be shrewd managers, visioneers and casters, dynamic team builders, masterful strategic planners, Many churches, when they go looking for a pastor, they want a a Steve Jobs or a Mike Bloomberg behind the helm when they go calling for a pastor. But yet pastors must devote themselves to the ministry of prayer and of the word. Ministry of prayer and of the word. The members of the church ought to do everything they can to free up the elders' time so they can devote themselves primarily to those two things. As a pastor, I confess how easy it is to become distracted by managerial tasks, particularly if you're like me and you enjoy doing them, right? I enjoy them. Personal confession. Right? I find it easier to put together a meeting agenda than to devote that same time to the Lord in prayer. And I find it easier to send out emails to people than it is to write a sermon. Right? The temptation to pastors is to throw out what's most important and exchange it for what's less important, even though all of the work is important. This is the challenge, the tension. So, so the members of the church should seek to protect their pastors, sometimes from them, their own selves, right, by taking on responsibility. Members should be so eager to take on the practical needs of ministry, the administration of that ministry, that the elders do not have to be burdened with its handling. And I'm thankful that our church has already begun to prioritize that even from the beginning, even from day one, because we truly do have some amazing servants in our church who have sought to protect the elders in so many wonderful ways. I think of our many children's volunteers. I think particularly of of leaders like Donna and Karen and Glenna, and it brings me such ease that each Sunday I can show up to church on Sunday morning and not have to worry about the state of the children's ministry that Sunday. That these ladies actually do, are intentionally keeping me out of the loop, right? So I don't even have to stress in thinking about what volunteer caught sick last night at 10 o'clock p.m., right? I don't even know, but they handle all that. They handle all those needs, all that reshuffling. I think of guys like Chris Garnett, right? He's on staff with us as our pastoral assistant, who handles so much during the week of the the practical administration of managing our website and getting the bulletin done and communication and graphics and and planning center scheduling, all of that done on a weekly basis. Largely, I have no idea what's going on with that anymore, right? I praise God for it, because in those first few months, I was doing all of that on top of, of everything else. What a blessing he has been. And I think of even guys like Steve Lanfear, who joyously volunteered to start doing the coffee each week, so Pastor James didn't have to be burdened with back there brewing coffee each Sunday morning. Think of guys like Steve Pitts and Jeff Batchelor, who instinctively take the lead in loading up the trailer after church every Sunday without being asked, so that the elders can converse with others and meet visitors and, and address the ministry needs that that happen after church on a Sunday. You know, they, the risk of starting to name names, there's so many more I could name, right? But there are so many more folks I could mention, and I'm grateful for the way that our church is, is thinking through how can we unburden the pastors from these more important things, but, but so that they can prioritize not these distracting tasks, but, but the work of the Word of God and the work of prayer. You see, as our church grows, there are going to be new needs that we will discover, Potential areas in which we are neglecting in the life of the church that might require the assistance of the church body. But yet as we manage the church's growth, we ought to seek to protect the elders from these managerial distractions so they can focus on their primary work of shepherding the church through word and prayer. Thirdly, we see that leaders must be selected, right? You've got to select these leaders. We want to protect the elders, of course, but we've got to figure out who are these leaders going to be. As in the case of the early church, the church must select those who are capable and godly in their leadership. So the apostles encouraged the the Jerusalem church to look among you, find those men of good reputation that can address this specific need that we're having right now. Not every need, but this specific need of dealing with the Hellenistic widows. And so five leaders that are full of spirit, full of wisdom, eager to serve the church. And so they find those seven men. They find them. And we don't know much about these seven men listed here in Acts chapter 6 other than Stephen and Philip. Stephen's going to come up in just a second. He's one of the first martyrs of the church. Philip will read about later in the book of Acts, but it's interesting to note here, as you look at this list of seven names that the apostles give us of these men who stepped up in serving this way, all of these men have Greek names. Did you notice that? Greek names, identifying that they were Hellenistic Jews. And here's another interesting observation I think we can make as we think about how do we select leaders for these ministry needs? that those who recognize the problems were the ones selected to resolve the problem. Isn't that interesting? I think there's a lesson here. Oftentimes, a few individuals might observe that all right, our church has got this need, we're not doing this, we're not addressing this like we need to, and they may very well be right, and they become a burden for the ministry. They become a burden for the need, and they approach the elders about that concern. Rightly so. However, those most burdened for the need are often the best ones to meet that need in the life of the church. Rather than just grumbling about the neglect, we ought to be doing this, we should instead say, here's the problem, let me help, <laughs> let me help, let me, let me do this. We should seek to contribute and help the church grow in increasing faithfulness. So the church should think carefully about the leaders that they select into this service. Those who lead in ministry should be respected by the body. Men and women who serve with gladness, joy, and humility. You see, we see that as the apostles prayed over these servants, they, they commissioned them for the work. They, the, the, we see them place the authority of their hands upon them and indicating that these men will facilitate this ministry under the authority of the apostles, but also commissioned by the Lord for this specific ministry task. That leads, fourthly, as leaders are selected, structures must be organized. Fourthly, structures must be organized. A growing church faces increasing ministry, complexity in ministry, that will often require new structures to help sustain its growth. As a church grows, there's going to be a need for, for change in the way the church handles the administration of its ministry and the way it accomplishes it. As the church experienced its growth, we see that the apostles commissioned these men to take on this responsibility, right? We see them truly delegate their authority to these men to handle the distribution to the widows, to make sure that it was managed effectively and fairly. I think this is something else we have to keep in mind as as our church grows, right? A church of 50 often has a ministry structure that's very different than a church of 500. And though we should preserve the the biblical leadership structure of, of elder and deacon in the life of the church, the organization of the ministry will often demand complexity. Structures need to be reorganized as the church grows. And I think when a church fails to make these sort of adjustments due to growth, it can ultimately stifle the growth of the church and sadly can lead to division within the body as ministry is being neglected. So all of this leads us to consider the importance of the office of deacon, of deacon. Let's talk about that for a little bit. In Acts chapter (coughs) 6, do we see here the birth of the office of deacon? Well, it kind of depends on who you ask, right? Here's one of the challenges. We don't see these men called deacons in any official sense of the term as as one of the offices of the church. You see, the word deacon in this passage does show up, but it shows up as a verb, not as a noun. (laughs) Look at what what, what it says in verse 2. The word occurs in verse 2 where the apostles say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. That's the way it's used. To deacon tables. Deacon just meaning servant or serving. So as the church matures... And as we follow the trajectory of the New Testament, we see that Paul, towards the end of his ministry, the passage Pastor Steve read for us earlier today, we see that by the time we get later on in the church's history, there are two clear offices that have developed in the local church, the office of elder and the office of deacon. And so though the office of deacon probably isn't directly referenced here in Acts 6, I think it is likely that Acts 6 marks the birth of what would eventually become the office of deacon. You see, every growing, healthy church needs deacons. Right? Members of the body who are set aside to serve in practical, tangible ways in the life of the church. So put simply, deacons are those recognized in the church to lead in serving and administrating the ministry of the church. The deacons, biblically, are not intended to be some board of the directors that manage the pastor, nor are they responsible for the ministry of the word or the shepherding of the flock. Deacons work underneath the authority of the church's elders to facilitate and administrate the church's ministry. They are servants of the church, assigned a specific task and freeing up the elders to devote themselves to the word of God and prayer. Now, if you grew up in in Baptist life, as I did, that's not the vision of deacons that we have commonly seen, that that we've grown up with. Deacons, in a lot of ways, have, in many Baptist churches, have kind of merged with the office of elder, and so sometimes in churches, deacons function like pseudo-elders, and kind of confusing the, the two offices in the church. But rather, I think we should stay firm with the the biblical language, that the elders are the pastors of the congregation responsible for the spiritual leadership of the church, for the ministry of the word, for its care, and that the elders have God-given authority by the members of the church to, to lead and care for the church of God. And then the deacons then are those who come alongside the elders operating underneath their authority, and the deacons have specific jobs, specific tasks. In fact, there's really no reason for the deacons to get together in one room at all, right? The deacons have their own responsibilities, their own mission, their own objective in terms of their administration of ministry. So in that sense, as we think about deacons, every church member ought to deacon in a sense, right? Every church member ought to to do deacon-like things. We ought to all be engaged in the service of the body in some capacity, so I'm sure that there were many in the church of Jerusalem who volunteered to help out with the distribution of, to the widows, but the problem was that there was no clear leader who had the authority to manage and administrate the ministry as a whole. So these seven men were selected to be a team, and they were given authority by the church to administrate this particular ministry, the distribution to the widows. So though every member serves in the church in some capacity, at least that's the way it ought to be, the office of deacon then should be reserved for those who lead others in their serving and who take responsibility for administration of a specific church ministry. So let me give you an example of how this would flesh itself out. So let's say that the Lord decides to just entrust Redemption Church with an increasing number of widows. Right? And we're talking about widows here in the sex. Let's, let's assume that's the case. We've got an increasing number of widows that have many practical, tangible needs in the body. And we might have very a, a lot of people in our church that, that want to help, and men and women alike who may volunteer to to cut grass or bring a meal or assist with, with financial management for those widows. We might have plenty of people that want to help, but the, the ministry is just kind of a mess. It's disorganized. There's, there's, there's Uh, people just not communicating about what's going on, or people are getting confused. Some widows are getting a lot of help. Other widows just aren't getting very much help at all. It's it's happening, but it's just kind of a disorganized mess. So in that sense, it might be appropriate for Redemption Church to say, hey, we need a deacon for this. We need a deacon who can manage and and organize the ministry to the widows as a whole. We need a deacon who just doesn't go out and, and do the serving, but we need a deacon who can coordinate volunteers who can manage funds that the church is designated for the care of widows. Well, there might be many members that are serving, this ministry is becoming so complex, it's becoming so time-intensive, that, you know, we need a, a servant leader, we need a deacon to handle the management of this ministry. So the New Testament leaves the, the office of deacon largely amorphous. I mean, it's, it, you'd be hard pressed to just go through the New Testament and find, here's the job description of a deacon. The job description for an elder is much more spelled out in the New Testament than the office of deacon. And I think that's intentional. I think God's designed it that the responsibility of the deacons change from church to church, depending on the needs of that church. Deacons are to be task driven, assigned by the elders and the church as a whole for a specific ministry assignment as the need for that ministry reveals itself in the life of the church. So what does that look like here at Redemption Church? Well, Redemption Church has yet to recognize any member into the office of deacon, that so we have lots of people serving in different capacities. And we sought to be patient with this, Because we we wanted to first prioritize the, the installation of our elders and establish a plurality of elders in our church. We believe that was the most important thing to set our attention on. But now we have our elders, right? We installed them last year into the office. And so in 2020, we are hoping to install some of our first deacons into our congregation. And we're going to talk more about that as the year progresses, and we hope to to begin this process in the fall of this year as we begin to think through who are those members in our church that that need to serve the body in this way. And so as elders, we are praying through and thinking through what what areas of ministry do we have going on right now that we really need somebody to, to lead, to manage, to administrate. What, what areas of our church's life is, is becoming increasingly demanding upon the elders' time? And, and how, how can we develop deacon positions to, to make, meet these needs? So, so pray for the elders as we're thinking through all of this and praying through all of this. And we hope to, later on this year, uh, call, as a church, some of our very first deacons to, to lead and serving in this way. But our implementation of the office of deacon, as you might imagine, is going to be very different than probably what you grew up with or what you might be used to. If you're not used to anything, in that case, you're going to be better off, right? you just just (laughs) do it right the first time. Uh, But but deacons are, are not going to be ordained, right? They're not going to be a board that meets once a month to handle responsibilities. Many churches today, again, I mentioned, confuse the office of elder and deacon and create some sort of hybrid out of the two. That's not what the scripture teaches. As we develop our leadership structure as a church, our priority from day one at Redemption Church has been this. What does God's word say? That's been our priority. What does God's word say? How can we be obedient to it? So we believe that the biblical pattern in the scriptures is that of deacons who serve the church with a specific ministry task. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in the coming months. But go ahead and be praying for that now, particularly if you're a government member. And if the elders give you a call a few months in saying, hey, would you consider being a deacon? I, I pray that your heart might be, be open to that. But Let's thirdly talk about the continuation of gospel growth. We've talked about the challenges. We've talked about how to protect the church against these sort of growth challenges. But in verse 7, we see what happens as the, the gospel growth of the church is continued look at what we see here in verse 7 and the Word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith we see growth continue so that deacons in many ways are protectors of unity in the church and that deacons properly organized facilitate the growth of of the church. The deacons, as one, one guy has called them, the deacons are like shock absorbers in the church. Right? They, they cushion the, the bump and tumult of, of community life, keeping the church stable and steady and consistent and moving forward. And these seven men that stepped up to, to help serve the widows of the church, Luke tells us that the word of God, because of this, doesn't stop increasing, but it's, it continues to increase. The word of God continued to increase, Luke says in verse 7. Here was a situation in which things could really go awry. Here's a situation that could have led to, to division in the body, but as the church wisely delegates this ministry to leaders in the church to handle it, it causes the church to be able to continue to focus on its mission. The ministry of the church flourishes. You see, deacon ministry is not unimportant ministry. Though their tasks might seem menial and, and simple by comparison to some of the responsibilities of the elders, deacons are absolutely essential for a healthy church. They are the unseen workers who, who are behind the scenes facilitating ministry in the church. church. You see, I have a feeling that once we actually get deacons in our church, nobody's going to have any idea who they are. <laughs> <laughs> that they'll be so behind the scenes just doing their job, doing their responsibility, that we're going to have to, yeah, yeah, this person's a deacon. This person's serving in this way. They're, they're not front and center people. They're the, the shock absorbers behind the scenes who handle the work of ministry joyously, gratefully, but in the process, they are making the church stronger, healthier, and ultimately more fruitful. So as we grow in the church, we will need more leaders to step up, more leaders who take on this joyous responsibility of serving the church. And so we have to pray that God would raise up such leaders and may God continue the gospel growth and Redemption Church that we have already witnessed. Above all, I think we should be grateful in this body for all of our members who serve in, other, in so many capacities. Because the, when the body of Christ serves one another, that service is a reflection of Jesus' service to us. After all, Jesus is the one who washes our feet, isn't he? He serves us. He humbles himself. He ministers to us in our great need of sin and condemnation and judgment. Remember, Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, how did Jesus serve us? Well, he served us by going to the cross. He served us by bearing our sin. He served us by reconciling us to God by his blood. And so if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you know the extent and the depth of Jesus' service to you. And in response to Christ's great service to us, We respond with gratitude, joyously and sacrificially serving others and serving Christ, knowing that as we do that, the gospel is going to go forth and that the saints of God will increase our number. And so as we serve the Lord together as a church, may God grant us this sort of gospel growth we see here in Acts chapter 6. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning with such Joyous gratitude for the many men and women in our church who, who serve the body in so many different capacities. Lord, I am truly just blown away, Lord, by the sheer number of our members that are engaged in, in serving in some capacity. And Lord, we are even thankful for, for being portable in this season as a church because it just gives even more opportunity for the members of our church to serve one another week in and week out, whether it's throwing out chairs on Sunday mornings, loading up a trailer or leading children's ministry, or we have so many workers in our church just serve with such gladness. And Lord, we are thankful, Lord, for the way that our members showed one another the serving love of Jesus Christ, who has served us by his death. God, I I pray, Lord, that you would embolden us to increase service. Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we think through this year, how we can implement the office of deacon in our congregation. And Father, we pray, Lord, that above all, that the love of Christ would be evident, the service of Christ would be evident as we live our lives together as a church. Lord, we, we long to be a healthy church. We long to be a church that's conformed exclusively to your word. Lord, we long to be a church that, that witnesses and sees the sort of gospel growth we see here in the book of Acts. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom, not only in identifying the challenges that come from gospel growth, But, Lord, that we might protect our church from those challenges with the promises of your word. And, Lord, that by your great mercy that you might continue that growth in years to come. But, Father, I do pray particularly for those this morning who who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have yet to be served by him. Lord, I pray that they would humble themselves this morning. And, Lord, before they even think about trying to serve the church, that they would first let the Lord Jesus Christ wash their feet or that they would first be served by the Lord who died for them, who was crucified for them, whose blood has washed away the sins of all who might believe. So Father, I pray that they would repent and that they would trust in Jesus this morning. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this precious gospel. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.